Um, so, as you all know, Pastor Don is not here today, so you're stuck with me. Um, I guess I didn't do bad enough of a job last time that I ended up with it again. Um, so this past Wednesday, uh, I was teaching the youth group, uh, and we started in the book of Titus, and we're going to go ahead and pick up where I left off on Wednesday. Uh, so we're going to be in Titus chapter 1, starting in verse 5. Um, while, you're, while you're turning there, um, I remember a while back, I don't remember if I was reading or if I was hearing somebody talk, watching a video, I had no idea where I heard this, but I was... Um, hearing a story about a World War II veteran. I think it was World War II. I can't even remember that detail. It's been a while. Um, but he was talking about how he was like a lower-level officer. Basically, he was supposed to never have to make a decision. He was low enough on the totem pole for that. Um, but one day he went into battle, and all of a sudden, all of the commanding officers above him were killed. And it came to him, he was now the most senior officer of his group, and he was now in charge. And I remember him saying, I at that moment, I really wished I hadn't slept through all of the classes about strategy and leadership and what to do on the battlefield. Because he thought, oh, I'm never going to have to use this. I don't, I don't need it. But all of a sudden he did. And when it came time for him to be the leader... He wasn't ready. Um, I don't remember how the battle went that day, um, but I remember him saying he, he wasn't ready. He wished he had paid attention beforehand. I also think of a time um, at work. I was in a meeting, uh, and we had a project that we were uh, sitting down, and we're starting to, like, delegate tasks to different people, like, and decide who was going to take what parts. And there was one person who was going to be involved in this project, and we started basing, based on who the people were, what their strengths were, what their weaknesses were. Um, we started kind of delegating tasks to this one person that were like the, this is the leftover task, we'll go to them. Um, this is the one that's not too complicated, it'll go to them. And we kind of realized at the end of the meeting this person's really not necessarily qualified for what we're doing. They're not, again, not ready. Um, today in Titus, we're going to look at qualifications for leaders in the church. Um, so the leaders and the elders. And most of us are not currently walking in a leadership role in the church, or and we don't. most of us don't think, oh, one day I want to be a pastor. I mean, some of you do, and that's good. But most of the people sitting here, Pastor Don is gone, aren't aspiring to be a pastor. Um, and so when we read through this, it's easy to kind of either gloss over it, say that doesn't really apply to me, or to think, oh, well, is Pastor Don self-willed? Is Pastor Don quick-tempered? Um, and just think of this in context of the people we know that are church leaders right now. Um, but... I want to challenge you to think this more about how does it apply to you. First of all, everything listed here um, are things that you can find in other scripture where it does apply to you. Um, and what he's saying is at the time when someone becomes a church leader, they need to be walking well in all these areas. So it should be something we're all striving for. But also at the same time, the time may come where God says, okay, it's time you need to take a leadership role in this situation, whenever it is. You need to be ready. Don't be like the World War II veteran who um, 
who said, when the time came, I wasn't ready. I couldn't, I didn't pay attention enough beforehand that I wasn't ready. So you don't want to not be ready and think about when God starts setting up his org chart of, I want this person doing this and this person doing this. I don't want him looking at me and saying, uh, Patrick, he's not qualified for this. And so if God does want to call me into leadership, I want to be ready for that. So don't look at this and say, oh, this is for somebody else, because it is for you, whether you're a, a, a new Christian, whether you are a pastor, or anywhere in between. Um, so let's start uh, Titus chapter 1, verse 5. Um, it says, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking, and appoint elders in every city as I command you. So he's sending a letter to Titus, and we talked about this on Wednesday. Titus was kind of Paul's right hand, maybe not, or maybe one of his right hand men. Uh, if you look at wherever Paul mentions Titus, like he's like, oh, I sent Titus to do this, and I left Titus here to do this, and Titus went there of his own accord to encourage these people. Like Titus was a man who like took charge, um, Paul trusted him, and he left him there to do two things. Uh, to set in order things that are lacking and to appoint elders in every city. Um, so Crete is where Titus was, and it's an island off the coast of Greece. And if you read through the book of Titus, everything you can gather about people who lived in Crete were that they were not the most upstanding moral people. Um, like Even one of their own says, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, beast, lazy gluttons. That's their reputation. Um, and so... This was at a time when there was a young church that Paul had um, planted and the, this worldly influence was trying to come in and uh, influence the church. Uh, and Paul says, I left you there to set in order the things that are lacking. Um, so he wanted him to organize the church and correct the heresies that were trying to creep in. The other thing was to appoint elders, which he's about to tell them what the qualification for these elders are. And these are people to shepherd God's people. Uh, if you think about what is a shepherd's job to keep the sheep going in the right direction and to protect them from the wolves or whatever um, is wanting to prey on the sheep. Uh, and so in this dangerous time when the church is under attack, he was supposed to set people up who would, um, who would protect them. Uh, and then he gets into the list. I'm the list, and I'm going to go ahead and read through the whole thing, and then we'll go back in and look at it individually. So verses 6 through 9, it says, If a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination, for a bishop must be blameless, blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. Okay, now before we go through this list, I want to turn really quick to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Find it. First uh, Corinthians six eleven. I'm going to actually start uh, in verse nine. It says, 
Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor adulterers, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the spirit of our God. So when he um, lists these qualifications, I think he's saying, what are you now? Many of what we're going to see in this list are things that would fit into this list of people who aren't going to inherit the kingdom of God. Um, and he says, but some, such were some of you. So past sins, I don't think disqualify from being an elder. Um, I don't see anywhere in scripture where it says your past dictates your future. Um, and so as we go through this list, there are several things. It's like, well, if somebody was like this back in the past before God got a hold of them, I don't think that's what we're talking about. We're talking about who are they today? Um, and so some of you, maybe you aren't to the point where you're, it could be said of you, such were some of you. Maybe you're at the point where you are this list. Um, if that's the case, you need Jesus. Um, the first step towards what we're going to talk about today and becoming more like God to be ready to be a leader um, is to accept him. Let his blood wash away your sins um, so that it can be said of you such were some of you. It's not a present state. Okay, so the first thing on the list is a really simple one. If a man is blameless, whew, it's kind of a, a high standard. Uh, and this really is kind of just a general first cut. If you've got a whole lot of accusations against you, uh, that's a kind of a red flag. Um, and the, the reason behind this is a leader really can't be effective if they're steeped in scandal. Um, if you think about uh, recent elections in Alabama or the United States, all over the place, it kind of seems like it's a common theme of it becomes a mudslinging contest of accusations and, oh, well, you did this. Uh, that candidate, instead of spending time focusing on his goal or her goal, um, they have to deal with all the scandal, the issues, the sins of their past. Um, and so one of the first things to ask yourself is, is someone blameless? Like, do they have, um, do they have a good reputation? Or is it somebody who there's going to be constantly issues of your, they want to point to Jesus, but there's constantly things that they're doing that are causing people to say, hey, you want me to follow Jesus, but you're doing this, this, and this. Um, and so that's kind of a general thing we should be striving for. We want to be somebody, as um, the scripture says, who when people try and bring accusations against us, they're the ones who are put to shame because it's, um, it's unfounded. And so that's something we should be, living, be striving towards. The next one, husband of one wife. So I think in that day, this definitely meant, do they have more than one wife at one time? That's not um, what... Uh, what a leader in the church should do today, that's not really relevant. But also the question of is, what if somebody's been divorced? Um, 
So I would go back also to 1 Corinthians of what were some of you. Um, if somebody who was divorced and has not repented or and has repented and says, like, I know there was sin there. I'm letting Jesus cover that. And now um, I'm seeking Jesus. This would be the only place in Scripture I've seen where it says, because you sinned this a long time ago means that uh, you can't uh, participate in the kingdom of God. That would be the only place I've seen it. And so I don't think it's that. But I think it's if you have this, if you have sin in your past, that you have recognized it, you've confessed it, you've repented of it, um, and that you are now a mind of, I'm a one-woman man, um, that marriage is one man, one woman for life, uh, and that that is your attitude. And especially in that culture of um, sexual perversion, of um, adultery being rampant, that that is not something uh, that you partake in, that it's it's, I am in a covenant with my wife, and that is till death. Uh, and I think us, as we grow in Christians, that should be our attitude, and we should continue to grow in that attitude towards marriage. The next one, faithful children. Let's turn over to First Tim- Timothy chapter 3 really quick. First Timothy 3, 5, uh, Paul's giving a similar list, and he says the same thing as children, uh, submission with all reverence, and then he kind of expounds on that. He says, for if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? And so he asks a simple question, if you don't know how to raise your children in God, how are you going to uh, point God's people and draw and lead God's people to God. Um, And to us, yes, maybe we're not church leaders, but the home is where we get to, um, to lead our children. Whether you're a church leader or not, you are a church leader of the church of your house. Um, As men, we are the spiritual leaders of our house. Um, And we're called to the same thing of raising our children up in the Lord. Uh, and it doesn't matter whether we're going to be church leaders or not. That's what we should uh, strive for. Um, as you look through scripture, that's what we are to do. Um, now, for those of you who don't have kids, don't think that this gets you off the hook of church leadership of like, oh, I can't be a church leader because I don't have children who are obedient. Um, no, Paul didn't have kids either. So uh, that doesn't get you off the hook. Um, but even if you don't have kids, what is your home life like? Are your affairs in order? Um, not just your kids. How can you lead in the church of God if you don't know how to manage your own household and taking care of your house and um, relationship to your siblings if you're younger, um, your parents? Uh, how can you walk in that if, if um, all your home life is out of whack? Um, so something to strive for. Uh, the next... Then he refers to these people as stewards of God. Um, So caring for the things of God. And what are the things of, like, what does God care about? He cares about people. 
Um, so that's one of the reasons this whole list exists is so that we can know how to care for people. And whether we're in the church, out of the church, we, that should be our goal. Uh, he says not self, self-willed. Um, so the question is, where do you get your direction from? Do I constantly just do what I want or do I submit and take direction from God? Do I submit to God? Uh, if you look at John fifteen thirteen, it says, Greater love has no one than this than to lay down his life for his friends. Um, when you lay down your life for your friends or when, when Jesus laid down his life for us, he's, he, as we know from what he said in the garden, he was not doing that of his own self-will. He said, um, if there's any way this cannot happen, let it not, but not your will, not mine, not your will, not my will, but yours be done as he spoke to God. In the same way, we should say, I'm willing to lay down myself for the best of others um, and not my will, but God's will be done. It says not quick tempered. Let's turn over to James chapter one. James 1, 19 and 20 says, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So we should not be angry people. Um, Sometimes I get frustrated listening to the radio, um, listening to different talk show hosts. And it kind of seems like when when they're like a political talk show host, they get paid to get people angry um, is kind of what they do, which... Isn't always bad, but what does that anger produce? Does it produce the righteousness of God? Um, Jesus got angry. So anger is not something that's necessarily bad, but be careful with it. Um, uh, one, we, Heather and I have a couple friends. Um, one of the things that they like to tell each other is, are you responding in the spirit or reacting in the flesh? And when we get angry, that's a good thing to ask yourself. Are you getting angry because, and are, is your response to this becoming angry, you just reacting and doing what your flesh is telling you to do, or are you responding in the way the Spirit um, leads you to? So when you see something bad, it might be good to get angry, but are you letting the Holy Spirit use your anger for good, or are you um, letting your anger tear things down? Um, as is very easy to do. So not quick-tempered, says not given to wine. Later he says they need to be sober-minded. Um, and what I think is really important here, like as you go through the Bible, like the Bible says, doesn't say not to drink. It says not to get drunk. Um, but it says many times to be sober-minded. And alcohol is not the only thing that can cause us to not be sober-minded. Where do we let our minds go to? Do we let ourselves get really worked up about situations? Do we get focused on things um, that we don't need to get focused on? For the reason of, we always need to be ready. Uh, Think about a church leader. They often get calls in the middle of the night saying, hey, I need you. I need you to come pray over this or go visit this person in the hospital. They always have to be ready. Um, At the same in the same way, we also need to be ready. If If we called you at any moment, would you be ready to come and serve? Or would your mind be so wrapped up with maybe alcohol or anything else that would cause your mind to not be able to make good decisions um, and to serve God's people 
at any given notice. So um, one of uh, a youth leader I knew when I was younger, his, his mantra would be, always be ready to preach, pray, sing, or die at a moment's notice. If we're letting something into our mind that is clouding it so that we can't do that, uh, maybe we should check what we're doing. The next thing is not violent. Um, this is, to me, it's kind of obvious. Like, if, if your pastor is going around punching people, it's probably not a good thing. Um, I'm sure you could probably go deeper in there, but it, it doesn't, wasn't really coming to me today. Um, so the next one, not greedy for money. Uh, Matthew 6, 24, he says, um, it's, it's the verse where he says, no man can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one or love the, and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. He says, you cannot serve both God and mammon or riches and wealth. Um, the question is, what are your eyes on? Are your eyes on something like money of this world or are your eyes on eternity? You can't be greedy for money and be thinking about eternity at the same time. Uh, so for me, what is easy, like I can look at my budget app and really get involved in that or look at my retirement and be like, am I doing retirement right? And get, it's easy for me as a numbers guy to start obsessing about that. Um, and that can easily turn into greed, uh, especially like you drive down the interstate. Out, I guess we don't have a lottery in Alabama, but going up to Indiana, you see the signs like, oh, 50 million, 160 million. And it's like, and the thought can go like, oh, man, that would be really cool to get. And then I wouldn't have to worry about all this other stuff. And, but, and that really can quickly turn into greed if you let, it, let your mind run away with it. Um, Turn with me really quick to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Um, this is one of the best, I think, passages about um, dealing with money, um, people who have money or don't have money. First um, Timothy chapter 6, we're going to read through verse 10, and then I'm also going to pick up in 17. It says, Now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich uh, fall into temptation and a snare, and into, excuse me, and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the, a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith, in their greediness and pierce themselves through with many sorrows. And also in verse 17, uh, this section, I'm only going to read one verse of it, but he uh, starts to deal with people who are wealthy in this age. He says, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Um, and so he's very stern on saying, Money is not going to last. You did not come into this world with money, and you are not going to leave without it, or you're not going to leave with it. Um, and so don't trust it. If your eyes are fixed on it, you, become, you are going to become greedy. And if you think about the stories we hear about church leaders who get into greediness and start embezzling money, um, or even outside of the church. You hear stories about companies where people get into trouble for mismanaging money um, out of their greed. And it's very true what the scripture sa says. They have pierced themselves through with many sorrows. 
Um, so seek to look at things that are eternal and value things that are eternal and not the things that are temporary. The next he says is hospitable. In Hebrews 13, 2, he talks about um, always be hospitable, welcoming, because many people in doing so have entertained angels unaware. unaware. Um, what God cares about is people. He wants us to love people, to welcome people. And so, and at times, if we are not welcoming people, maybe we aren't welcoming God. Maybe there is an angel who comes in that we're not welcoming. How can we do that? I mean, easily when we get to church to be hospitable to, especially to people who are visiting who haven't been here before, um, to welcome them, talk to them, find out who they are. Um, and the same way uh, a church leader should not only be hospitable here, but wherever they go to make people um, feel comfortable and welcome. The next one, a lover, they should be a lover of what is good. Um, and so it's a good time for a heart check. What do you love? What are your affections? When you have extra time, what are you excited to do? Are those things good, beneficial? I think also if we are loving good, we're going to shun evil or want to get rid of the evil things in our life. He says they should be just. Um, there's two, a couple definitions for just that I found. I think they're both kind of applicable. First one is, it's, the word just is used of him whose way of thinking, feeling, and acting is wholly conformed to the will of God and needs no rectification in heart or life. That's a high standard. Um, and if we really think about that, the only person who meets that standard is Christ. And so we should begin to try and emulate Christ so that we can be just. Obviously, Jesus is our justification. But, and then the, uh, the definition that probably fits into the context of this verse better is rendering to each his due and, in a judicial sense, passing just judgment on others. Um, so we should, a church leader should be able to work through disputes to bring just judgment when people disagree. Um, how do we do that in our own lives? Like we should all be ready to give a just wise opinion. Um, I think what we need to do is look at James 1.5. It says, if anyone lacks wisdom, he should ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach. So how do we grow in this just um, sense? We ask God. We seek his wisdom um, so that we can live a right life and we can make wise decisions. The next one is holy. Um, how do we become holy? It's nothing other than the blood of Jesus. Um, as we looked in 1 Corinthians, like you, such were some of you. How did they get there? Through the blood of Jesus, covering their sin, making them holy. We take on the holiness of Christ. Next one is self-controlled. Uh, let's turn to Titus chapter 2. Back close to where we started. Verses 11 and 12 say, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, 
and godly in the present age. Uh, So what is self-control? It's that denying or saying no to the ungodly, the worldly lusts and passions. Um, So an example of this, I have a five-month-old daughter. She is passionate about milk. Um, That is a natural passion that is within her. And when she decides that passion strikes her, there is nothing going to stop her. She is going to scream and yell until she gets it. Um, Now, she's a baby. It's not, like, sinful for her to want milk and to tell us, like, Heather and I need reminding, yes, you do need to be fed. That's a good thing. Um, But at the same time, do we let our passions and desires control us? Or do they control uh, or do we control them? Um, that's kind of the definition of self-control. Are we able to say no to our own desires? So we should walk in that. Um, let's turn back to Titus 1, verse 9. He says, the last thing on the list, he says, Holding fast to fast the faithful word as he has been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. Um, so he says, holding fast the faithful word that he has been taught. That mean, that says several things about this leader. One, he's been trained. He has learned God's word. He knows God's word and he has sound doctrine. How do we do that? We study his word. We fellowship with believers. We let people um, speak into our lives and we grow. Um, And what is the purpose of it? That we may be able to exhort and convict those who contradict. Um, So we can confront the theological or other errors that come into uh, the church. And notice he says to exhort and convict. He doesn't say to shame and and condemn. Um, In our pride, often we want to be right. And we can be like, well, no, you can't do this, blah, blah, blah. And we get into an argument. And it's the unhealthy human wrath that does not produce the righteousness of God. Um, but exhorting is to really spur somebody on, to try and convince them not so that uh, you can feel like you were right, but because you know what's, that that's best for them, to know the truth of God. And to convict is not to say, well, you're just this terrible person. It's saying, this is wrong, and I want you to know God. And so see the scripture grow from that and turn away from your sin. So it's not a prideful thing. It's a, out of love. Um, and then as we go, uh, I'm going to go ahead and read verses 10 through 14. Uh, why do we want to develop these qualities in ourselves? Why do we want these qualities in, the le- in our leaders? He says, for there are many insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole households, teaching things which they ought not. For the sake of dishonest gain, one of them, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men, who turn from the truth. Um, So he gives this list of what's in the society trying to get into the church. Deceivers, insubordinate, subversive, people who lie, people who are lazy, um, following fables, uh, 
looking to commands of men instead of commands of God. And then he lays it out of just turning from the truth. Um, those things want to come into the church. And as we build these qualities in our own lives, we can confront those. Um, as he said, um, and, and keep the church a healthy place, a good place that is seeking God. Uh, and then the last two verses in the chapter is, to the pure, all things that are pure, are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But even their mind and conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. Um, so if we are seeking Jesus, he says, to the pure, all things are pure. If our heart is pure before God, all that we do is going to be pure. But if we don't, if we aren't covered by the blood of Jesus, if we haven't developed a pure mind, everything we do is going to be defiled. Even the things we think are good or that um, somebody else might think is good, it's going to be defiled. And at the end of the day, it, it gets down to being disqualified for every good work. As we talked about before, I don't want to be somebody who when God wants to call somebody, he says, Patrick's disqualified because he hasn't um, developed uh, the traits of God in his life. And so I think that's a challenge for us today. Heart check. Look through this list. Is there anything you need to grow in? Anything you need to develop in? And anything where you're like, wow, I really struggle with that. So take this as an opportunity to work on that, to seek God, let God grow you. Um, and if you don't even know God at all, the first step is coming, is giving your heart to him um, to receive his punishment as payment for your sin and to surrender yourself to God. If that's you, um, there's going to, I think there'll be people in the back today um, that would love to pray with you. Um, if not, grab anybody. They'll be happy to point you to somebody who can. Uh, so with that, let's close. Let's pray.